Okay, this is Moses Allison, and you're listening to Radio 8-Ball with Andros Jones. Radio 8-Ball, give us a shake. We're in the studio tempting fate. Wherever you are putting questions to the songs which we will randomly select here with the help of our friend Synchronicity. Now it's time for Radio 8 Ball. Give us a shake. Radio 8 Ball. Give us a shake. It's the Radio 8 Ball Show. And welcome back to Radio 8 Ball, the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. I'm your host, Andras Jones, here in the basement studio in Olympia, Washington, just next to a graveyard on December 12th with David Rovix. Hey, David. Hello. And David's playing the oracle fodder that are going to be, that are answering the questions that are asked by our guests. And now we're joined on the line by another, a former Radio 8 Ball guest, a guy who's done one of our live shows and done one of our radio shows and one of the, one of the great songwriters I know, Jim Page. Welcome to Radio 8 Ball. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Good to be here. And so how do you, you know, you and Dave have probably been at many events. Have you ever toured together? Uh, we have actually a little... Little tours, not big long ones, but well, you know we've uh, driven through the wilds of uh, Washington D.C. area with a sound system in the back, you know, looking for a <laughs> looking for a room that we were playing. And I remember some of that stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, fun. yeah, it was fun. Yeah, that was good. Now, David, you was really good to hang out with. Sorry. When uh, when I mentioned guests, Jim was one of the first people. I think probably the first piece of person you mentioned. Hmm. And I'm just curious: what, Do you have any particular memory of a gig or an event or a rally or something that you were at with Jim? That uh, well, I mean, I'll just embarrass Jim. But when I when I first uh, came to Seattle when I was 19 years old, I uh, had only been in town for I think a maybe less than 24 hours before I went to the Pike Place Market and heard Jim playing with artists. And, artist the Sp- Yeah. Artist the Spoon Man. And I, I really liked Artist's uh, spoon playing, but it was Jim's <laughs> songwriting that was totally that totally blew me away at the time. I just didn't know anybody was writing songs like that in the current. I was familiar with a lot of stuff from the past that had managed to get to my suburban reality as a teenager, like Phil Oaks and Bob Dylan, but... I didn't know anybody was doing this currently until I happened upon the Pike Place Market at the age of 19. Yeah. So. You, not to, to date you, but I'm to, well, I guess I am dating you. I am trying to date you. What what year would that have been? I guess that would have been 1988. Yeah. Got it. And uh, people may not know, but Jim was uh, instrumental in getting making uh, street performing legal in Seattle. Right, Jim? Yeah. In the seven in the Mid seventies, in nineteen seventy four. Yeah, I was. Yes, I was. I was threatened with arrest, and I actually knew personally several people who had been arrested, not just ticketed, but taken off to jail for playing on the street. It was okay to play inside the Pike Place Market. That's always been like a special kind of historical zone. But anywhere else in the city, 
um, unless you had a permit, you could be arrested. And the only permits available were for so-called blind and disabled people. So it was a weird catch-22. Some old lava was kicking around and, you know, you get a cop who's bored and hasn't had any tickets in a while, he's just gonna haul you in. So, you know, I decided to make a summer project out of it and it, it was very easy. It was really easy. There was only one uh, entity in the city that was opposed to it and that was the Musicians Union. And they, huh. they, they stood their ground and they were opposed on the idea, on the grounds that the the idea that uh, <laughs> are you ready? That buskers would take money out of the pockets of symphony musicians. Oh my God! How now, could they even understand how that was how? remotely possible? But that was that was the, that was their stand on. Everybody else, everybody from the cops to the merchants to everybody, everybody just thought it was a wonderful idea, you know. And they and and it was it, it was passed you know, easily. So yeah. There you go. And since then, you've been plying your craft. On the, are you too? Well, yeah, but I mean, I have. A, I don't. I don't barely busk anymore. It's like people change, and I'm another one of those people that that change. I, 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 I It's weird. I. I was just in New York. I was. I was working on a recording project, and as a part of it, we did a house concert, and this guy from NPR came came down because Amazon is moving out there and I have a song about Amazon, blah, blah, blah. And so he came down and he wrote this little piece of it and he described how when I'm in Seattle, I play on the street and I play farmer's markets and sometimes people listen to me and sometimes they don't. And it's like my mouth dropped open because, well, uh, that's like a time warp sort of a thing. I'm not 25 years old anymore. I'm not even 30 anymore. I'm not even 40 anymore. And I don't really do that very much. I will sometimes go to a farmer's market and play for a little bit if I feel like I want to get out there and kind of wrestle around with, you know, the ebb and flow of people and see what happens. But I, I just kind of, that's not my, that's, you know, really isn't my, my thing anymore. So, you know, so whatever. It's all cool. It's cool. Well, uh, I guess, uh, why don't we just dive into this musical divination gig that we do here yeah you know how it works you've been on the show we had some pretty amazing synchronicities when you were on uh what's your question for the pop oracle well i don't know if this is the question of the pop oracle or not you tell me i've known david for a long time and i remember you david when you didn't think you had anything to say you didn't think you could write a song you really didn't and i don't know what happened but you just Started and your philosophy seemed to be that if you just started doing, you could figure it out, which I thought was brilliant. I thought that was really, really brilliant, and that's the right thing to do, and you did. And it was like turning on a faucet, and the songs came in one after another after another. Not all political, but the vast majority that I've heard anyway were very cutting-edge, up-to-the-moment political. My question would be, if the changes that you write about, because I write political songs as well, not as many as you do, but I do, I do. And when I write a song to critique my culture, it it holds within it um, a vision of what I would like to see that culture become. Otherwise, you know, why would I bother to critique? So if the changes that you envisioned came about, how would that affect your songwriting? That's my question. If the changes that, uh, and let's just universalize it, it you know, it's if the changes okay. that, because I want this to be something that the, someone who's listening a year or two or whatever from now listen to this. But okay. a lot of us are activist songwriters, even if we're 
not even aware that we're activist songwriters. There's something, I, I right. think that you're speaking to something that is just there in the artistic spirit. So to, if the changes that we want to see happen, how would that change the kind of artist we are? Or is that right? right? Great. Well, right, that's fair enough. Right. so now to engage the pop oracle on your behalf, I'm going to spin the wheel of eight. Na, 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 na. We love it. Song number four, which is, we shall see, East Kilbride. East Kilbride from David Rovix. And now hold on a second, I'm going to put the phone by you. David, it's going to be like when, you know, like when someone has a song and they play it for you on the phone. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> so he'll hear the guitar and maybe not the voice, but that's okay. No, your voice. Yeah. Jet fighters bombed the palace. We all watched it on TV. The 11th of September, 1973. All across the world... People cried in vain as we heard stories of the students being tortured and slain. Stories of the workers, shop stewards, and the rest being slaughtered at the new dictator's behest. Labor groups condemned it, said we were on the workers' side, including all the engineers of East Kilbride. People organized a boycott of General Pinochet Who had overthrown Allende with a Hawker Hunter jet Then a few months later, March of 74 Bob Fulton came to work at the Rolls-Royce factory floor He looked at the orders that had come in that day And found crates with jet engines from Chile Jet engines from the Air Force across the ocean wide Sent to be repaired in East Kilbride It didn't take a minute for Fulton and his mates To come to the decision they would not touch these crates Soon 4,000 Rolls-Royce workers voted they agreed to stand with the Chileans in their hour of need. Management decried them, the Tories screamed and cussed, but the Hawker Hunter engines were left to sit and rust. Nowhere else on earth were workers qualified to repair the engines sitting there in East Kilbride. It's often hard to know if you've changed anything a whit But decades later a Chilean general would admit For a time in Santiago there were no fighters in the sky Because the whole Chilean Air Force had not one jet that could fly They may not have changed the world, this group of Union engineers But these crates of metal sat corroding for four years so here's to British labor, how for four years it tried to do what could be done from East Kilbride. Jet fighters bombed the palace. 
We all watched it on TV the 11th of September, 1973. And that was East Kilbride from David Rovix, the answer to Jim Page's question. If the changes you seek came to pass, how would that affect your artistry? I mean, one, can I give us an answer to that question? Uh, well, yeah, uh, and tell us, yeah, and tell us a little bit about, about that song for those of, us who, those of us who may not be aware of the historical context. I mean the song. Well, I mean the song is about the um, uh, the the CIA-backed coup that overthrew the uh, government of Salvador Allende in Chile in 1973, um, and uh, they used uh, British fighter jets to bomb the presidential palace in Chile. And uh, when British uh, workers at the factory in Scotland uh, that repaired the engines to those uh, planes that bombed the uh, presidential palace in Chile, when they saw that it was one of their planes that had uh, bombed the palace, uh, and they saw that these engines arrived from the Chile, from Chile for them to fix, which they realized were the Chilean Air Force, of course, then they refused to repair them for four years. They sat on the floor of the factory uh, untouched, and uh, it was only just in the past couple of years that uh, people realized um, uh, that because of a general in Chile uh, interviewing a Be Belgian journalist, inter interviewed by a Belgian journalist, we found out that, that actually the entire Chilean Air Force had been at least for some time grounded because of the actions of those workers in Scotland, which nobody knew at the time. So then you had an idea about how that song answered Jim's question. So I think, I mean, to me, that that song answers the question in terms of like, um, I, I know, I, of course, in a, in a, in a, if if all these problems didn't exist, I would be singing about other things, which which I do now and then, anyway. But uh, but the thing is, as somebody when I was I was recently in uh, in the Netherlands, and and a guy uh, organized a show there who had organized shows for me there like uh, when I first started touring in Europe like 20 years ago and uh, and he was uh, commenting that I used to sing lots of happy songs about fun things like uh, people throwing pies in the faces of the powerful and like uh, people shutting down uh, you know IMF meetings and you know but and a lot of other positive things that, and that I tend to sing less about now and and, and that's just because I think yeah it's um, so affected by the times around me and when there was more of a movement happening that I was part of uh, there was so many uh, optimistic things to sing about. It seemed like, and, uh, and now uh, I, I I think I'm writing better songs than I ever have. But very few of them are very upbeat. I don't know. That failed state song was really rousing. <laughs> We're living in a failed. It's rousing, rousing. Yes, maybe not upbeat, but it's rousing. Yeah, I, I agree with the rousing part. I like rhythm. You know. <laughs> so Jim, what, were you able to hear that okay over the phone? Yes, yes, I was, and. Uh... I would like to say that I personally hate the question that I asked, but that's <laughs> probably why I asked it, because people don't generally understand. Like, you know, you and I would, this little bubble that we live in, people would, but, but the wider people outside don't understand that singing songs like David sings is something that you do in the times that you're living in, and it, it's what I call, I call it music of engagement. Yeah. You know, I don't like the word protest song. I think that's an awful thing. It's, it's, it's engagement. You've engaged in the world, and so you think about it. And when the world is going this way, you think about it this way. When it's going that way, you think about it that way. So yeah. I'm imagining that David would continue to sing and to write because that's what he does. 
but you know the, the the vantage point would change. The it would become more uplifting, perhaps. It would maybe there'd be more funny songs, whatever. But things yeah. would change as it. So anyway, I asked a question because it's something that you get asked, and I figured maybe it could kind of kind of. Oh, and and the song that you chose was perfect because it is a song about the desperation of the situation and the viciousness of it, but also of the beautiful thing that people do, anonymous people do in the world on a daily basis to just throw a little wrench into the gears, to just let the air out of the tires a little bit. You know what I mean? That happens all the time. So thank you. That worked perfectly. Well, okay. the, the only thing that I would add to it is I just, I, I guess I just thought looking at the title, just the title East Kilbride. First of all, Kilbride is a re- weird name for a place. It just sounds like that's a bad place you don't want. That's a bad thing. Bad things have happened in Kilbride. It's just not a. Right? I can't remember what kill means. It's a very common prefix for a lot of towns in Scotland. I can't remember what that means, but it's something. Oh, like, it doesn't uh, mean killing ri- brides. It's something like river or you know, oh, okay. some, some okay, natural good. formation that's very common. Oh, that's good. Then it's better. Okay, that helps. And then uh, I was just, but I was thinking about the the east part is what struck me because I was. It made me think about the 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 wis- the wisdom of Buddhism that says all life is suffering, and then once you accept that, then you uh, then go forward, basically. And so I guess I, I feel like there would never, once, the, once all the injustices in the world were over, you'd still have to deal with dumb people. And like, you're not going to banish all lack of intelligence or dumb things that people say that then you go home and write a song about, you know, Joe the Grocer always puts his thumb on the scale right i mean i like like what i used to say you know when i was um part of a, a social movement that what i could identify as such uh was was that i'm a cheerleader for the movement yeah. and and uh and i think i would continue to be a cheerleader for the for the changes that we're trying to make in society because yeah. you know after society changes when when good things happen uh, they don't just all happen at once and it's a process and and you're trying to build uh you know there's different campaigns to try to change different things and i'm sure what i would be doing is is supporting those campaigns like and woody guthrie and the wpa exactly roll on columbia and yeah. hopefully i would not write any songs <laughs> praising um you know the grand coolie dam the grand coolie dam right well uh, did you have any other insight you wanted to share with us jim um gosh um well i don't know if i i've heard people criticize Woody Guthrie for writing songs about the Grand Coulee Dam before, and I think that's a mistake because I think if you look at it in this historical context, where it was coming from, what he was speaking about, the number of people that had migrated, working class people, working people, Okies, looking for work with families, kids, so on and so on, it was seen as a constructive thing to do. Looking back, you can say... Uh, things about it, but you know you have to be kind of no, I totally careful agree. of these, yeah, these things. You know, absolutely. And is there anything uh, on the on the horizon for Jim Page that fans of your music who are tuning in listen to this well, should yeah, be looking for? I mean, this, this is about David Robich. It's not about me. Well, this is your that, moment you know? to shine, Jim Page. <laughs> I mean, hey, guys, the only let's, one you get. Tell about the time we walked around Cambridge, how we held our our, our <laughs> shoes together with chewing gum. <laughs> That's a good story. That's very memorable. Both of us had the shoes, the tennis shoes, where the bottom soles were like removing themselves. They were flapping. And 
I remember that as a teenager, I had fixed my radiator with chewing gum. I, literally, I actually had, I'd, I'd massaged chewing gum into the leak in the radiator and it stopped leaking. Great. Okay. So I thought, well, let's do that with our shoes. So we went and bought some chewing gum and it actually worked, didn't it, David? I think it worked, it? did. It? it did for at least a few days, yeah. <laughs> well, see, now this is useful information that our listeners can use within the coming financial collapse. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Chewing gum. Fix, chewing fix gum. the country with chewing gum. Yeah. That's about what we're looking at. I, I, I guess, I, you know, I, I was going to, I didn't know exactly what to, what to ask him. I had another thing that, I was, that, that I, was, I was thinking of, but these are philosophical questions, and I don't know if, if, you know, this is the right sort of format for it. I mean, you and I both know, we all know people who want to save America. And I'm always a little bit flabbergasted with that. Just save it. <laughs> but save it. What, what are, are we, we saving? About? We, saving means like, almost like it's, like, go, it's like going back to the ideal thing that once was, and grab, or, or, or grabbing onto it as it is now and keeping it from corrupting. And if, you, if you're honest with yourself, you know, and you're historically honest, and you're historically, you know, if you open your eyes and don't be afraid of things, you have to admit that it shouldn't be saved. Because in order to save it, you have to maintain all the all the stuff, all the all, all, all the mechanisms that lead to Trump. Yeah, absolutely. those are in the America that you're saving. Yeah. Okay. So saving it is just is is ludicrous, silly, childish, immature. Walt Disney. It needs to be changed. Yes. It needs to be changed. You need to change it. You don't need to save it. That's what I was going to say. And I, I I admire David's consistency in this entire thing. He doesn't stop. He doesn't back up. He's not afraid to sing a song that even his fans will say that's ter-. you know. As happens to people, rubbish, you know, and he keeps going anyway, which is admirable. I mean, David is amazing. He's a powerhouse. So, you know, my hat's off to you, you Thank know? You. So there you go. Thank you. Well, well I have to take my hat off after having said that. Yeah. Sure, I, just, <laughs> I already took, just my, took my hat off. <laughs> Well, Jim, I know you want to make it about David, so I'll just say, people who are listening, please, if, you have, if you're not familiar with Jim Page's music, check it out. He's got a lot. He's got decades of songs, and almost pretty much everything that he's saying about David could be said about him. So anyway, Even thank the you. Even the chewing gum. Thanks for listening to Radio 8 Ball. We hope today's musical divination brings and brought the sync to you wherever you are. For more info about our show, visit Radio8Ball.com, where you'll find the Radio 8 blog, our Patreon campaign, and where you can download our Radio 8 Ball app that allows you to engage the pop oracle directly in the form of every song ever performed in the history of Radio 8 Ball. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you give us good reviews and ratings, that really helps get the word out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. It's the Radio Show. Oh my God. <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm beginning to believe in divination. <laughs> Andras, you've got me. I'm going to show this paper to him so that he knows that I am not making this up what number three actually is. Oh, that's great. (laughs) 
You loved your sweet country for all of your life, like your mother and father before you. And the land runs deep, so deep in your blood, your flesh and your bone and your sinews. Descendants and ancestors deep as it goes, a relative circle as far as your eye. You can all be undone in the flash of an instant. Mechanical thunder that bruises the sky, bruises the sky. Goodbye to my relatives all of my life. Never again will I see. You won't have a name when they fly the big airplanes. Collateral damage is all you'll be, all you'll be. From a faraway place where the language is strange, they come with their angry machines. And the clouds rain a metal that hurts when it falls, and it shatters the ground, making everything scream. And the children run crippled, the old people hide, and the babies are caught in the rubble debris. But the strangers don't know you; you are only a number. Underreported on color TV, color TV. Goodbye to my relatives all of my life. Never again will I see. You won't have a name when they fly the big airplanes. Collateral damage is all you'll be, all you'll be. Mother is more than a number to a baby who now has to grow up on its own, and a grandfather blinded and crippled at his age is more than just a statistical drone. All of these people are human, and humans are more than a footnote. This cynical language of killing is killing us, cut like a bone in humanity's throat. Humanity's throat. Goodbye to my relatives all of my life. Never again will I see. You won't have a name when they fly the big airplanes. Collateral damage is all you'll be, all you'll be. So if you see a ghost in the lonely wind blowing like shrapnel, the sound of the rain, and it's speaking a language you don't understand, but you know what it means just the same. There's no time for innocence. All of that's over now. Don't say that you didn't know. When they come to collect for the damages owed, the collateral may be your own. Maybe your own goodbye to my relatives all of my life. Never again will I see. 
You won't have a name when they fly the big airplanes. Collateral damage is all you will be, all you will be. And that was Jim Page with Collateral Damage. Song number three. It's a good show.